podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Good to have you with us. Greg Brady dropping by imminently to talk about, and look, everybody says, a crazy weekend, a whirlwind weekend of NFL action. This was absolutely, insert any adjective here, any explosive hyperbole here. What a Sunday of NFL football that was. There is so much to talk about. Enough of this jibber-jabber small talk. Let's get straight down to business and check in with the brilliant Greg Brady. Greg Brady, you know it's going to be a good show when we could start with one of 11 different things today. And I don't know where we should start. Actually, I, I lie. I do know where we should start. Your Manchester City mug that I saw <laughs> just moments before we started rolling. But for those of you watching this vid on, on social media, we'll put better there, really. Uh, yeah. Matt, so explain. This needs an explanation before we do any NFL. Well, people say, okay, who, what Premier League team do you support? So here's how it all starts. Um, and people say, when did you become a Premier League fan? Well, in before, say, about the mid-90s, we got one game a week on, uh, on television. That was it. And so probably a lot like your NFL in, in the 80s, where you wouldn't see every team. So, you know, Man City at that point in time, remember also Britpop explosion, uh, and that was right up my alley. So Blur and Oasis were two of my favorite bands. So I thought, this is easy. Blur is my team in the Premier League. And Man City was in first division at the time with the likes of, you know, Sean Goter and, and Uwe Rosler. Oh yeah. And, and they, they seem to be up and down. Premier League, first division, second division, or championship at the time. So I thought, this is easy. The pass will never cross, potentially. Mm. And, and they'll never be great at the same time. So this is pre-Roman Abramovich and pre-new Manchester City owners. And mm-hmm. I thought, I'm really safe. Like, I've got a team in the second division and a team in the first division. So who was your team in the first division? Well, that would have been Chelsea at, at uh, the given oh, I see. Okay, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. point in time, Me- meaning the top level, meaning the Premier League, which yes, started right. a few years earlier. Yeah. But you can imagine the conflict now uh, when Chelsea play Man City and, and all my friends dig at me and they're like, oh, your two favorite teams, who are you cheering for today? <laughs> right. it's, it's like being a Yankee. You, you can't be a Yankees and Red Sox fan. Mm-hmm. You can't be a Packers and Vikings fan, Nat. It, it's very, very difficult. Maybe not as brutal a rivalry as that, but, but point taken. I love the fact uh, that you're a Britpop fan and, and uh, the fact that you love both Blur and Oasis. Uh, that is just very Greg Brady, that you, uh, you celebrate them both. You, didn't, you weren't too partisan. You weren't too tribal with that. And, and I, wanted, I, I wanted a better second Elastic album, Nat. We could go, we could go for 20 oh, minutes. Oh, Elastic. Are, we go, are you okay with Suede as well? Were you down on the Suede? Yeah, thing? yeah, Suede, Pulp. Uh, you know, Draw the uh, line at menswear, I'm guessing. Menswear is where you get off the bus. Uh, no, no, I, I could, I could handle some menswear cast. I mean, I got a long list of, uh, of, you know, mid nineties acts that I this thought were a- fantastic. That just never, never lasted as long as they, uh, perhaps, uh, ocean color scene long list. The, the some Danny some Warhol's of members of these bands are, are watching and listening to your podcast. Undoubt- all pop and NFL go together like milk and cereal. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, I've got an off season pod right here that we are locking in, locking in <laughs> right now. Look, let's start with, I want to start with tanking. You know why? Because me and you, producer Ollie, before we started rolling, we were talking about it. We're talking about obviously with that ridiculous end to, to the Jets game. Uh, the Jags, of course, a very different situation there. But nevertheless, these are the teams that are in the box seat for, uh, for Trevor Lawrence. And you've got Fields in there as well. You've got other big pieces that are likely to go in the top five. So let's get into that subject first, first of all, right? Because it looks like the Jets, after that improbable loss, are going to end up with 
the the number one overall pick. And people are saying, well, did they do that deliberately? They blitzed Derek Carr. They it was a ridiculous call. Was that deliberate? Now, I don't buy this idea. Certainly, the players tank. Players just don't tank. It's not in their not in their DNA. Either they're superstars and they didn't get to becoming superstars by having that mindset, or more commonly, the majority of them are jobbing for a gig, like most players on most rosters. They're they're there at that level. They are not in any kind of situation where they're going to be thinking about tanking a game in a league that an average career is is three years. So players forget about it. Coaches, I find it hard to believe that any coach is going to deliberately go out and and throw a game or at least look the other way. But organizations in terms of front office and certainly ownership, mm, that's a very different story. I can believe that there is at the very least an approach to a season where there's a fire sale. You are putting together a roster, which in the Jets case seems to be absolutely the case that you know, isn't going to be competitive, that you know, is going to have next to no chance of landing very much at all. And you know that you're going to end up as a result of that rewarded for doing so. So organizationally at the high levels of the organization, I can see it. What about you? Because we're hearing all this talk of tanking right now. What's the Brady take on it? Yeah, I, I think you, you laid it out there that you, you run down the gamut um, in, in terms of responsibility from the owner. Uh, the owner knows that the NFL, you get it done by building through the draft. And oftentimes free agent signings are really difficult to pull off. You're, you're paying premium dollar for players potentially not at the peak of their ability anymore, especially in this sport, more so than the other North American sports. I might put baseball in there uh, because clearly there's been a emphasis on younger players getting it done for value. That whole sort of, you know, Billy Bean, Oakland A's Moneyball principle. Everybody does Moneyball now. The Yankees do Moneyball. The Dodgers do Moneyball. So everybody's really astute in terms of getting value for dollars and, mm. and not making necessarily a big splash. But where you're, where I think you're, where I think you're, you're right uh, is the NFL looks and and general managers and coaches who have tenure would certainly be in meetings, be in discussions about about messaging late in a season, and they also know. I, I, I and I think that messaging would be, we're already out of it. What's the point of winning? What's the mm-hmm. point of winning? And that can't be spilled into the locker room. That can't be spilled towards the players. Um, because I, I do think the players care at a certain point in time. Players do want, if, if you're just starting off with an organization and you know, if you're a wide receiver for the Jets and you think you could play with Trevor Lawrence next year, you should be pretty excited. But mm-hmm. I'd say the Jets are a really unique scenario because there's Sam Darnold. He's been there three years. He was supposed to be the savior. He could have gone number one overall. We all castigated the Cleveland Browns for taking Baker Mayfield ahead of Sam Darnold. And, and, you know, some of us are still standing by the idea that Sam Darnold is still, in principle, a better quarterback to go into each Sunday with than Baker Mayfield. He has mm. more skills. He had a better college career. Mm. So I, I, think, I think the tank does happen. Um, I, I think assets are, are potentially diminished from certain teams. We know the Miami Dolphins had a seem to have a game plan last year. I think yeah. Jacksonville has had a game plan this year almost from the get-go. But what's lost is, and, and I've been in these locker rooms in December, covered the Detroit Lions beat for three years, and you could tell going into other locker rooms that, that you know, of teams that were 2-12 and 12 in week 15, you could tell there wasn't a real emphasis on winning that. But that's not by design. That's mm. just you, you want to you, you keep your safety. You, you want to keep, you know, uh, keep it all together. Keep all your faculties. Not get injured in those last two weeks. So you're putting a little less out there. I do believe that's true. You and I have been to games at Wembley even seven, eight weeks into the season. 
And it's often been times when the, when the New England Patriots would come over and those, those absolutely stacked Belichick teams. And you know that the second half, the, the other team knows they're not going to win that game. Mm. So are they giving more effort or less effort? Mm. That's debatable. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think yesterday's such a unique circumstance that I know we'll talk about. But, but I do think it's discussed certainly at the owner and management level. My issue mm. with the Jets is thinking if, if the general manager already has been you know, fired, and the, uh, which is the case in Jacksonville, I was thinking right. about them going to overtime against Minnesota. What's in it for them to, to beat the Minnesota Vikings? Because it sure looked like they were trying to beat Minnesota yesterday. Mm. Uh, we're really, and in Minnesota, let's look at that and Mike Zimmer and what the hell was going on at the end of that game. I mean, what if you worked that out? So just kept on trying to get extra yardage. We were watching it, and this was in overtime when they were in field goal range, in routine field goal range. And 999 times out of 1,000, you would take the chip shot field goal, end the game there. Don't run another play because there's a danger you could turn it over. And they kept on getting closer and closer. We thought, well, is, is Dan Bailey injured? Is that what's happening? And then, no, we're seeing him on the sideline. He looks all right, looks fine. And in the end, eventually, they wheel him out. What was going on there, do you think? Yeah, all I can think of is it's just a lack of confidence in where Dan Bailey is. And, and even though you're getting closer and closer and closer, yeah, you only need the field goal to win by that point in time because it's not your first drive. Uh, in overtime, but you know, Vikings. I can't tell if it just it trickles from the fan base through the organization through the ownership. Mm. Um, but remember, you know, there's been there's been a lot of times uh, Gary Anderson missing for the Vikings back in '98, and the Atlanta Falcons go to the Super Bowl. It's the only field goal he missed all year right. was to win it at the end in the NFC Championship game. Blair Walsh, right, in, in that uh, in that chip shot against the Seattle Seahawks uh, in in Minnesota when they were still playing outside before they got that amazing new stadium that we were at for Super Bowl built. So the Vikings fans feel a little traumatized by the entire concept <laughs> of a winning field goal. Right. But that, that made little sense. Listen, play calling alone, I, I thought Kirk Cousins threw a ball down the sidelines, not in regulation, um, on, on a third and one play and mm-hmm. kind of going for broke. And I thought for, for Gary Kubiak, who's been in the league a long time, is that the play he drew up? Because now all of a sudden it's fourth and one. And you're kicking a field goal from wave. Move the chains. Get a little closer for Dan Bailey and win this damn thing in regulation. But it just didn't seem to be a priority for the Vikings. What a messy game. And yet, you know, Jacksonville almost eliminated any chance whatsoever. Think about those two games yeah. coming down at the same time. Jets, Raiders, and Jags, Vikings. And, uh, and, and almost Jacksonville almost took themselves right out of the uh, idea of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes going into the last four weeks. And almost took the Vikings out of any, any hopes of the postseason, right? I mean, I think that, that was their season on the line right there, Minnesota. They, they got it done anyway. Let's, let's jump to the Browns-Titans game because that was extraordinary. Uh, the best performance of Baker Mayfield's career, there, there's no doubt about that. And so much had been said going into the game. You even referenced it you know, a moment ago that there are uh, – there are many critics. He's a much maligned figure. And even this year under Stefanski, away from the, the chaos and the dysfunction of, of Freddie Kitchens, he has been erratic, still inconsistent. And if anything, if you look at the way that they've downgraded his status within that team, he hasn't even necessarily, up until yesterday, delivered on that. His completion percentage, one of the worst in the NFL, when he is in that game manager status that's his role he hasn't necessarily been executing that particularly well and then suddenly he comes out with this half of football that was top to bottom unbelievably good so help me break that down Greg was it the Titans were just not at the races at all was it one of those streaks and runs which 
the Browns we know are capable of and it all just came together? Was it something in between? What went down? Yeah, I, I lean almost two-thirds give credit to the Browns. One-third, you know, uh, wonder why the Titans didn't show up to play in the first quarter and a half. It's a little bit of both, but I think it's more Browns. You've got to give credit to an offense that goes and scores on five on, on their five first drives. They haven't mm-hmm. done that in 20 years. You've got to go back. That's the Belichick Browns right. in 2000 doing that. And, and we know, you know, the, the glory years for the Browns have been so lean uh, and, and, you know, so, you know, so – far away uh, to go back two decades to accomplish something like that mm-hmm. on the road against what we think has been a pretty, you know, a pretty well-established defense that's helped keep the Titans offense, which is very run driven with Derrick Henry in games. And, and if anything, I look at Mayfield's stats, Nat, and, uh, and if anything, you know, in a closer game, although the Titans made it close at the end, but that's a lot of, that's sort of your, your trademark garbage time scoring for the Titans. The Browns just wanted to run the clock, run the football. I mean, what, 36 carries total on the ground. Mm. Um, they used Nick Chubb a lot, uh, 18 was carries it, for him. Was it that, though? It's a really interesting point you make. The second half, I felt, take, took the shine off, off the Browns' win. Because in the end, I mean, we were doing it on live radio, so trying to give some semblance that, hey, you know, if they get a quick score, this could still be game on. I'm not believing that for a second. Yeah. But I don't think at any point, anyone thought the Titans were going to come back. The deficit was too big, but it did get quite nervy at the end. And the Browns were, offensively speaking, you know, anonymous in the second half. Now you could say, well, all their work's done. They took their foot off the gas, understandably. I feel it took the shine off, off the result a little bit. Yeah, I, I can see that. You, anybody who gets out scored 28 to three in the second half of right. a game. And it, like, absolutely. There's a lot to look at for the film of the Browns. I, I didn't think they were a very good eight and three team as far as eight and three teams go, it's really difficult to assess that in its entirety yesterday mm-hmm. and go, well, now I've decided they're a great nine and three team. No, I, I still think there's a lot up for grabs. And look, Cleveland's going to do something that, um, you know, Buffalo had the chance to do last year and win a playoff game for the first time in ages. There's a lot of teams uh, with long, long playoff droughts. Cincinnati, Miami, Buffalo, Tampa Bay hasn't won a playoff game uh, since the Super Bowl. In 2002, yeah. um, right. January 2003, I should say. So, yeah, like it, it's it's all it's all very much to play for for the Browns. They look like a complete unit in the first half, mm. but you're going to have to play all four quarters. Remember again, Buffalo and and the Texans in the playoffs, everything looks great for the Bills on the road. They're going to get their first playoff win in, in over 20 years, and it didn't turn out that way, close as it was. So, yeah, I, I'd like to see Cleveland not be as conservative the next time around. But I also understand the, the idea that nobody, as you note, could have foreseen, you know, you'd think, well, we neutralized Derrick Henry. That we're, yeah, 38-13, Derrick Henry can't run the ball because every running play is going to take your, your standard 40 to 50 seconds to get it done, and the clock's going to run in between. So they relied a lot more on Ryan Tannehill, but, but guess what? He was, you know, very efficient uh, late third quarter into the yeah. early fourth. So. It's certainly look. It's a it's a good win for the Browns. No one no one could possibly say it isn't to go into Tennessee and score that many points against that defense. But I still think there's a lot still to be determined here. And we know with that division, look, Pittsburgh's the class of it. The Browns are probably going to have to start on the road uh, for a playoff game unless they get the. Uh, they will have to start on the road. Mm-hmm. No no question because they'll be either the fifth, sixth, or seventh seed in the AFC. Um, and I don't know whether they've – we talked about this with Miami a couple weeks ago, Nat. Have they raised expectations to the point where the playoffs just aren't good enough, where mm-hmm. we're going to judge Kevin Stefanski and judge Baker Mayfield for a poor playoff performance if, if they can't go and get a win against one of the other division leaders who inevitably they'll have to play in the playoffs. It's, you know, it's nice to set yourself up and raise expectations – 
But when those expectations are raised, you got to fulfill them. I think when you know Beckham went out earlier on in the season, and already there had been some inconsistency displayed. The knives were out, weren't they? Because Baker yeah. wasn't playing particularly well. All this much hype, much vaunted Stefanski era. I think a lot of people, even though Beckham was a bit of a non-factor, has been a bit of a non-factor for, for Cleveland pretty much since he's joined. I think people are thinking, okay, well, this this could be another dysfunctional, disastrous season. So they have turned it around. But even as they were doing that, Greg. The critics, well, they're not beating anybody good. They're, they're, they've hardly had to face any teams within records. Their wins are up against. So that was such an important win for them last night. Not just the victory, but the, but the manner. And, and you make a great point about shutting down Derrick Henry and the intensity with which they displayed to do that. I think it's it, it too simplistic to say, oh, they found out a, a game plan to close down Derrick Henry because I don't think many can do it. But you look at how Carl Joseph and, and others were just absolutely had their bit between their teeth flipping that to Vrabel who is a coach you and I have both talked about before really really highly regarded not least because of of the efficiency and the organization and typically and to the most part the intensity that his team plays on both sides of the ball defensively they were all over the shop Breon Borders who had that huge pick the week before a wonderful story that that has been one of those players that's bounced around practice squads and never quite made it. Then suddenly in prime time, after making a mistake, makes a huge play and then gets absolutely carved up by by the Browns. Uh, so a bad, a particularly bad individual performance. But how on earth can you rationalize uh, a Tennessee Titans performance with Mike Vrabel as their head coach defensively this lackluster? They were they were standing on the sidelines, Greg eyes wide open looking absolutely shell-shocked yeah and and you know what they had started to leak a little bit these last couple weeks uh you know even beating Mm. baltimore in overtime got a lot of yardage given up against them in that game so the ravens moved the ball with a lot of efficiency in that game um you know they got slammed obviously by indianapolis uh at home uh 34 points given up to them 430 total yards so I know, yeah. It's one of those scenarios where uh, the Titans' defense has to has to tighten things up. They've got some real easy games coming up the next two weeks. To me, they're at Jacksonville. They're home against the Detroit Lions. That's the next two weeks for them. And the expectation mm-hmm. just has to be get the W, get the W, get to 10-4, and four, and you've put yourself in a, in a real good position. We know, in fact, this could very well be a playoff preview. And if Tennessee is able to win the AFC South, you could easily see a Titans-Browns game in that very same venue mm-hmm. uh, in early January, the first week of the playoffs. So, look, it's, it's hard to beat a team a couple times in a row within a mm-hmm. five, six-week span because I don't doubt that Tennessee will make adjustments at a certain point in time. But that was one, I think, uh, that, that, you know, though Cleveland was coming in at 8-3, and three, I understood why Tennessee was favored. I understood why, you know, people thought they were on a roll, at least offensively. And, you know, the defense didn't give the offense much chance to win the game. You let the other team score on five straight drives, you're asking a lot. Even if you have Derrick Henry, even if Ryan Tannehill is playing well, that's asking a lot. And then you start looking at the clock and those seeds of doubt go into your head. And you're like, this just, there's a lot of teams. Even Kansas City had one of those earlier this year Mm -hmm. against the Raiders where you start to wonder, is this really our day? And Mm -hmm. the Bills have had those games and almost everybody but the Steelers have had those games uh, where you're starting to wonder, is it all just not meant to be on this particular Sunday? And that was yesterday for Tennessee. I'm still not. I think that's a really fair point because almost every single Super Bowl winning season, I think, 
uh, I can remember, there have been the team that's already gone on to win the Super Bowl. You can point to a performance or performances plural and and, and make that case. Maybe not a half quite as bad as Tennessee suffered last night, but but you know it's it, it's it's a very reasonable point not to overreact. You have those days sometimes. One of the things just to wrap this game, I'm really divided about because. You look at that first half of football from Cleveland, so compelling, and underpin that position with the fact they didn't really need to do a huge amount on the ground, right? This was, by and large, Baker doing it with his arm, mm-hmm. right? And that's got to be reassuring. The flip side of that, Greg, I, I have walked away from that game, and maybe it's the point I suggested earlier on because of the second half. I'm still not buying them. I think they're very watchable. I, I would like the idea of the Browns in the playoffs. I, I like the idea of watching Baker go go toe-to-toe and, and silencing his critics. I'm not buying them. Well, there's going to be a lot of teams come in, uh, in in that sort of five, six, seven seed slot. Uh, and if I were to say, you know, let's take the Browns. Let's take uh, Miami, who's going to have a lot of players playing their first ever playoff game. A ton, as a matter of fact. Um, and obviously, Tua potentially, you know, making his first playoff start. That's what Baker Mayfield will be doing. Right. Uh, and, and even take a team like the Raiders that has a bit more experience. Derek Carr has won some big games in his career, although hasn't obviously been able to make a playoff run. When he got hurt in 2016, they look like the only team that could beat the Patriots yeah. in 2016. Um, so I, I look at I look at those three, and, and yeah, I have the most questions about the Browns now. I love mm-hmm. Miami's defense. I, I think the Dolphins are – moving the ball phenomenally well. They can move it on the ground. And, and I say that with great you know, reverence for what Cleveland is doing with how Stefanski has sort of revolutionized the culture. But of those three quarterbacks, Derek Carr, Tua, and Baker Mayfield, mm. Baker gives me the most questions. Yeah. He still yeah. does. And, and remember, you, know, you and I saw enough of Ryan Tannehill with the Miami Dolphins that these very same questions were being asked about Ryan Tannehill at this time last year. Mm. Okay, this is great. He's winning games in October. He looks like a a new human being in Tennessee Titans colors as opposed to the aqua and orange in Miami. Maybe that was just too dysfunctional a a spot for him. But eventually, you know, your record's your record, and eventually you're the quarterback that the stats say you are. And Mm. Baker Mayfield, that was a great, great game for him yesterday, but he'd be the first to tell you. You know, I, I think the maturity has come along. We said that back in August and September that a lot of the mistakes and a lot of the missteps off the field even that he had made, a lot of the you know sniping with the media, a lot of the sort of me-first mentality that you just don't see from a young quarterback, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe he's been able to, to have teachable moments and correct that amongst himself. But it's going to be a fascinating playoff to see, mm-hmm. a, again, a lot of – there I just mentioned three quarterbacks, Carr, Tua, and Baker Mayfield making their debuts. You're going to have Josh Allen playing a second – playoff game um, in, in only his fourth season. So there's a lot of inexperience in the AFC quarterback ranks. O- outside of Ben Roethlisberger, is Patrick Mahomes the second most experienced quarterback we'd see in the playoffs for playoff games? I Pretty think, much. Yeah, I think so. Let's, let's recap on that. So, And we're recording this Monday, of course. So the Steelers still unbeaten at the time of recording and still in the number one spot. The Chiefs will talk about uh, their Sunday night football game shortly. Second seed, the Bills three, Titans four, Browns five, the Finns in six, and the Colts uh, who had that narrow escape in the end against the Texans? Uh, Houston throwing it away when they could have uh, could have nicked it, and that would have been that would have suddenly got interesting because that would have put the Titans what five and seven, right? And uh, and, on, and on a roll, it seems like Deshaun Watson is almost single handedly winning uh, or keeping them in mm-hmm. games once again. And the Colts the seven spots. So the Raiders, uh, despite that last gasp win, drop to uh, the eighth seed. The Ravens nine, the Patriots now at five hundred with their charges blower. I mean, all of those in the mix, Greg. 
Well, absolutely. And, and yeah, I, I do wonder about that. We don't have the complexities that we have in the NFC playoff race. I don't think there's anybody that's going to make the AFC playoffs net that we'll look at and say, well, that's an undeserving team. And often we do. Often we'll have it. We know in the NFC, you're going to have a division winner in the AFC East, uh, unless the Giants run the table and end up nine and seven. And th- their win over Seattle is worth that was a, that was a, that was the only statement win of any NFC East team this year, where you're like, wow, I can't believe they did that. And we've been playing for 12, 13 weeks now, counting the bye weeks. But I can't think of any. You know, there's going to be a couple NFC teams where you're going to be like. God, do they really? Does it was this the right year to expand the playoffs out in the AFC? We won't say that. And you know, there's teams that we were sure were playoff teams a few weeks ago. The Baltimore Ravens that are a little wobbly right now. That are that are right now leaning out of the mix. Mm. Um, the New England Patriots have pushed themselves back into the mix, and if they can win their divisional games, they're going to play Miami again. They're going to play Buffalo again. They can't win the division. Can they grab a six or seven seed? They play like they did yesterday. They sure can. So, yeah, there's not many games that don't have playoff implications. We talked about the two teams that are fighting it out for Trevor Lawrence, but almost, what are we talking, 11-12 NFC, AFC teams still feel like they've got something to play for, and we're headed into the middle of December. So the NFL must love that. You know, I'm thinking, looking at that, and just following through what you're saying about the quarterbacks in the lower seeds in the AFC, but we're both Derek Carr fans, right? And, and, and yeah. supporters, we have been for a while. Look at that. And I think I would take Carr over most of those quarterbacks outside Mahomes, obviously, and Big Ben, right? I mean, I think I would, you know, Tannehill, maybe it's a push, but I would over Baker. I think right now, over Tour because of the inexperience. I think Josh Allen, because of how erratic he, he can be, the danger, I think, in, in the playoff situation. Rivers. You know, it, it is interesting. No, uh, yeah, I, I would take Carver Rivers. I wouldn't hesitate on yeah, that right now. Yeah. And, and I take Carver Cam Newton if he makes it. So I right. think it, I think it's just the two big boys, Nat. I yeah. think it's I think it's uh, I think it's Patrick Mahomes, obviously, and it's Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, with where Pittsburgh is at, and yet, God, does Pittsburgh feel like an eleven and O team? I'm struggling with it because a lot of people had them eight and eight and nine and seven, thinking this might be it. We don't know how Ben's going to throw and and look at all the dysfunction, but my God, Mike Tomlin, for all the people that said, Mm. Hey, let's move off of Mike Tomlin. Remember the Mm. Jags playoff win against them. Oh, they, you know, they didn't come buttoned up or prepared to play. That's three Mm. seasons ago now. And it tells you like, be consistent. Like it's, it's, that, that is tremendous faith to put in Mike Tomlin, as they did before with Bill Cowher, as yeah. they did with the legendary Chuck Knoll. Yeah. No other organization can claim this, that they've had three coaches. Three coaches in 50 years. 45 years. It's 50. I think it's 50. I think it's over 50. 50. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote about Tomlin for the Times last week. And so to answer that question about the Steelers, unlike the Browns, so just, to, just to be clear on the Browns, I'm not saying I don't think they are capable of a sucker punch playoff win. I mean, clearly they've proved that. Uh, and demonstrated that, and it was a really impressive performance. I don't want to take anything away that I just don't. I, I'm not buying into their validity uh, in terms of composure and surety in the same way. I absolutely, yeah, I'm actually with the Steelers, and I and I'm really surprised about the criticism the Steelers are getting because of the balance this side has. Tomlin has to your point and, and was really the, the, the direction of my article is time and time again proved his critics wrong. Last season was a masterpiece of, of, of coaching to, to make them competitive. He, from the very time he came in as the head coach of the Steelers at what, 34, who the hell's this guy? He's an unknown. Yeah. And, you know, within two years had won a Super Bowl, was back again soon afterwards. Sure, there have been lean times, but I was looking at the key, okay, well, actually, how many 
Uh, how many playoff games have they won in that period that he's been particularly under fire and improbably on the hot seat? They, they have been more competitive than the the the, the perception is of uh, the Steelers. You look at this offense, I think it's the only one really out of all of these contenders in the AFC that will go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs if it's a shootout. Uh, maybe the Browns, you could argue, based on what you saw last night, have that in their locker. And, and of course, the, the Raiders have demonstrated they could. But I think in the, in the crunch, if it is the championship game or a divisional round game, a crunch time in the playoffs, I'd be backing Roethlisberger with those four core receivers he's, he's throwing out there. The running game's rolling. And defensively, I know Bud Dupree is gone now, but defensively, they are amongst the strongest out there. I think they're amongst the most balanced teams in not just the AFC, Greg, the NFL. And I, and I, I don't get why people aren't buying into them just a little bit more. I think, I think two things. One, uh, they've won close games. But you know what that tells us? The six, of the six of the 11 wins they have have been by a touchdown or less. Mm. But I like that. I, yeah, I like the exactly. idea that, you know, you can finish. You can close. You can right. do it. And it's one thing to blow a team out. It's one thing to do what New England did yesterday to the Chargers. It's another thing to, to bounce back. It's such an up-down league. I once had a, you know, a colleague in Detroit describe that the NFL is up-down. And it's so true. It's why it's, you know, uh, even for fantasy implications, it's dangerous. Your player will have be up one week down the next week. It's, there's not much consistency. The only consistency is inconsistency. And mm-hmm. one of those scenarios with the Steelers where I look at is since Big Ben got drafted, they were 6-10 and 10 the year they drafted Ben Roethlisberger from Miami of Ohio. So that's his rookie year in 2004. Now they win the Super Bowl his second year. Pretty charmed life. He, he mm-hmm. came into a great infrastructure, and there was very little time. Uh, quarterback-wise, although they, they rolled with, you know, Cordell Stewart for a few years. I'd say there were, there were a few lean years, late, 80, late 90s into the early 2000s. But, of course, New England has set the bar. Of course, no team's won more than the New England Patriots. I, I think they've had the best 15 years in, in North American sports history for any franchise. And there's been a, this, we're in a salary cap era with 32 teams. Remember, the NHL used to have six teams. Major League Baseball used to have 16 teams. Like, you know, there's Yankee teams of legend from decades ago. But that's what I mean. The Patriots have had the best 15 years of any franchise ever in the history of North American sport to me. But Pittsburgh is probably a close second that. They're never terrible. Outside of the Packers, maybe I'd give Green Bay that because Mm -hmm. they've been able to transition from Favre to Rodgers. And they've just – They've known who the quarterback is. Yeah. Pittsburgh hasn't been that lucky. That's a, that's a long span of time. And, you know, I think you and I had made a reference to Neil O'Donnell uh, the other day on <laughs> yes, the, uh, on the podcast. It was on the live Sunday show. But, yeah, that was their quarterback for five or six years. Mark Malone, who we hear on the radio sometimes, was their right. quarterback for four or five years. So they really didn't have that stuff. you got to go from Terry Bradshaw to Ben Roethlisberger. And that's 22 years of kind of piecemealing it together and waiting for a franchise quarterback. I think what Mike Tomlin has done, and yeah, all, all the other coaches, it stands to consistency where you just you breathe it out, you don't make decisions based on emotion, and you know the best leaders in, in our industry, probably in me- the medical industry, the legal industry, education, they wait and they don't react emotionally. And it's so easy to do, to keep doing what the Lions are doing or what the Bills did forever, the Dolphins did forever, and change this and change that. And eventually you've got a, you've got a real culture of dysfunction. And mm. Pittsburgh deserves a lot of credit. You know who the Steelers are. Um, you know, they'll weather the storm. They were a mess three years ago with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell there. Um, they, they, you know, they fought through some adversity and some turmoil. And here they are. And you're right. They're probably getting a little disrespected at 11-0. and 0, 
but it's got to be the close games. There's no other explanation for it. But you've given a great explanation on that, I think, a great rationale for why that, if anything, should validate them, them further. Let's, uh, let's move on. Stay in the AFC, and then we'll look at the NFC. Just on that Patriots win, which was remarkable, given it was, I think, a one-point game <laughs> before, I think the line was one, something like that. Uh, it was, as suspected, we thought Belichick because he's done it time and again, get in the head of a young quarterback. And, and that clearly was a big part of it. Special teams meltdown central from the charges. Does Anthony Lynn, and it's the, the worst defeat in, in franchise history, and the charges have had some, some interesting uh, defeats in the past. Does he have to go now? I mean, after that, does he have to go now? And I don't want to see anyone get the bullet. And following on from us outlining the importance of continuity and keeping the faith and, and, and you can often see real value in that paying mm-hmm. off. Uh, you know, I, I think it knee jerk reaction, but he stopped going into this game. Greg was low and that was one of the worst performances. Uh, I think we have seen from an NFL team for, for many a year. Yeah, it, it was absolutely that. Uh, and, and I, I don't think Anthony Lynn is coaching the, the Chargers next year. I think this was a guy a lot of people wanted uh, to have some success. A lot yeah. of people I, I know from just across the border here in Toronto, people you know absolutely loved him in Buffalo and, and through some dysfunction there post-Rex Ryan, maybe wanted him to get more of a shot. Uh, in Buffalo before Sean, uh, you know, Sean McDermott came in. So mm. I look and I think uh, that this is probably it. And, and some of that is the emphasis that we know we've got the quarterback. We've seen enough of Justin Herbert. Um, we, need to, we need to fortify him, provide infrastructure around him. That's a, a, a different coach. That's probably a different offensive coordinator. It isn't totally unlike what, what they were dealing with with Baker Mayfield and I, in Cleveland, uh, trying to you know, f- coach in, coach out. So much chop and change, as yeah. you say, on your side of the Atlantic. I'm getting used to that slogan here, by the way. That's, uh, like that's a new one for, uh, for 2020. 2020 <laughs> has been the chop and change year. Big but time. nonetheless, uh, I, I look and I say the Chargers have to get this right because you, you don't want to spoil this. Too. You, don't want, you don't want the scenario where the Jets are now with Sam Darnold. That Sam Darnold can play. Justin Herbert is obviously a guy that can play. Look, he's probably winning. He's probably still winning, although Tua coming back will, will plant some doubt in the voters' minds. But we're thinking Justin Herbert could win, you know, rookie of the year, or at least offensive rookie of the year. And what's the Chargers' record going to be? 5-11? and 11? Like, how, how can you be a 5-11 quarterback and be the rookie of the year? But, yeah. but he's going to get consideration for it still. More games like that will damage him. But, yeah, I think the Chargers move off this and, uh, and find a way. Remember, uh, going from San Diego uh, to there with, with a lot of talent, it felt like nothing worked out. They didn't feel beloved in L.A. Always felt like more road fans than home fans pre-pandemic. And why will that change once we're through the pandemic and, and the Chargers are playing even games uh, at the new stadium in 2021? So th- they've dealt with a lot of adversity. But there's no excuse for yesterday's performance. Uh, there's no excuse for not adjusting at halftime and at least making a game of it. Look at the numbers for New England anyway. Cam Newton, you know, barely threw for any yards. They really it's didn't. Sixty-nine yards. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so let's let's work that out then, because we we figured that Belichick might have something up his sleeve for, for Herbert, as indeed, uh, of course, uh, Brian Flores did. Belichick's uh, uh, old lieutenants uh, a few weeks back, but we I didn't expect this kind of blowout and special teams, as we said, that contributed a lot uh, towards that. But nevertheless. It is a win that puts the Pats, as we said, at 500 back in the playoff race, defensively brilliant. And he's doing this again and again, Belichick, with a, 
a lackluster, threadbare cast of characters. He is getting uh, more out of them than any other coach, I think probably in the history of the game would, and keeping them in the mix. But should we be buying them as realistically a team that might sneak in the back door in that, in that seven seed because of that? Because it, again, they're just not, I mean, Stidham came in at the end, didn't he? And, uh, and uh, to rub salt in the wounds and, uh, and threw a score, but they're not getting anything with Cam Newton's arm. Is that ultimately going to be their undoing in terms of a, a playoff playoff run? Yeah, could easily be. Uh, you know, it's difficult to see a nine and seven team make it Nat. They're at the Rams mm. at the Dolphins home against the Bills and Jets. Uh, so that's not easy. Uh, I, I do think they could certainly beat Miami. Remember also, mm-hmm. this is a Rams team. They had two weeks to game plan for Jared Goff in the Super Bowl two years ago right? and held the Rams to three points. Now, the Rams have changed a little bit since then. There's been some in and out with the, you know, with the wideouts in, uh, in Los Angeles, obviously. Um, so that's going to be really, really interesting mm. to have the Patriots at the Rams. Uh, and remember, they're staying out there in Los Angeles because of the pandemic. Could that be an advantage? Could that not be? Uh, and that's a Thursday night game, as I'm seeing. I'm, rem- I'm reminded of that. So it's a short week, and but the Patriots really don't have to travel for it. So I, I, I can't wait for that Thursday night because that's really, really significant for the Patriots' playoff chances. It's great for them to get Sony Michelle back. I thought that has a that's a big difference to have a one-two punch in the backfield, and they've obviously gone to more of a running team with him and Damian Harris. Um, yeah. And you're right. There's not much for – you know, I, I find it really tough to judge Cam Newton's season. And I know you and I have been back and forth on, you know, will he be back? Will he not be back? Uh, there was a report yesterday that suggested the Patriots would look at Ryan Fitzpatrick next season for a one-year deal. Again, just as a sort of stopgap before they can find, you know, the next yeah. Drew Bledsoe or the next Tom Brady. But I, it's, it's really, if Newton takes them to the playoffs, if somehow that's accomplished and they may need to win all four games, how do you move off of him? Because clearly he was doing some good things down the stretch to put this team back. Yeah. I'm inclined to say there's less than a 50% chance they're 6-6 six and six right now. Yeah. But we're having a conversation about it, and yeah. we didn't think we would two weeks ago when they were 4-6. and six. I think they're 500 as well. You know, apparently he's very well-liked in the building. You know, There is that, yep. that positivity there. And I guess a lot of it will depend on what kind of deal he wants to take, right? Because he took a, you know, a massive pay cut on, for this, for this one-year shot. And I reckon if, if not quite at the same level, but if he's prepared to take relatively you know a lower cut then 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 quite conceivably they might they might roll the dice again in transition let's move on to the nfc greg and the saints of course clinching their playoff spot with uh, that win against the falcons pretty uh, pretty comprehensive and pretty impressive from Taysom hill because he looked looked the part looked very balanced and everything he was pretty much everything he was asked to do with his arm he delivered i think these last two years uh, have really proven that Sean Payton is beyond a Hall of Fame coach. And I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. The fact that they've missed games with Drew Brees um, over the last two years, Teddy Bridgewater came in brilliantly last year for the Saints. They didn't have that option this year, obviously, with him going to Carolina. Uh, and the fact that they have just been, you know, uh, been able to, to do this. this. This wasn't for a brief period of time. This wasn't, say, Denver with Brock Osweiler mm-hmm. in 2015 when Peyton Manning was uh, was on his last legs and, and was injured, and Osweiler had the stronger arm, the younger legs, and, and might have been the better quarterback at, at even before going into the playoffs. They had arrested Peyton Manning going into the playoffs, and he's smart, and he didn't make any mistakes uh, getting the Broncos to that Super Bowl win. But, yeah, I, I see some similarities between those two teams with an yeah. aging breeze, uh, a guy that can't throw the deep ball quite as, quite as often. We don't know what kind of Drew Brees we get back uh, before the playoffs. We didn't know last year that he would come back and play any games at all. 
So, um, look, they believed in Taysom Hill. There were a lot of skeptics. Did they get a layup last week against Denver uh, with that quarterback situation? Sure they did. Absolutely. So it's tough to call that anything more than a, than a nominal win. But that's a good win yesterday to go into Atlanta, a team that's still fighting for respect, you know, a team that that's a, a team with an you know, interim head coach. Matt Ryan's got pride. They're not going to quit on this season. There's no benefit uh, whatsoever for the Falcons uh, to get in, in the draft hunt, no matter where they started. So I was impressed. I was really impressed with the Saints. And, uh, and I don't – we're sort of having that, have that Nick Foles conversation as well. You're like, ah, if Breeze didn't come back and it wasn't 100%, Kind of like when we went from Wentz to Foles, which is funny now to think about in 2017, because um, neither guy can play worth a damn anymore, Wentz or Foles. <laughs> but but nonetheless, we're, we're asking ourselves, if it was Taysom Hill, 11 years younger than Drew Brees, what kind of playoff run can the Saints have? You yeah. think it's going to be based on defense, based on flipping the football to, to Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara? But they're showing week by week they can beat good teams. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, it's spot on with everything there. The Denver comparison in particular thing is a, is a great one. The numbers, just to underline our point, Taysom Hill went 10 of 12 on third downs. 13 of the Saints' 23 first downs came from his arm. Uh, 73% completion rate, two scores, and he added 83 yards on the ground with 14 carries, right? Which, which Drew Brees is, is, is not going to do. It was really, really composed. Also, I think from the ground game, that was one of the big stories going into it. Atlanta, oh, their defense is balling. They're playing for Raheem Morris. They're going to neutralize Kamara and that's going to put the pressure on, on Taysom Mills' arm. Well, it didn't. They didn't. And even though they didn't, his, they still went with his arm anyway and he, he delivered. It was a really, really impressive performance, I think, from, from the Saints. And it's a great point you make. We're not quite sure when Brees, when Brees gets back, what kind of nick he's going to be in. That could get interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I look, they, they put Matt Ryan under pressure. That's a guy in his late 30s. You can chase him around a little bit. They did sack him uh, three times. Ryan hasn't been the most mobile quarterback for the last five or six years, as a matter of fact. But I thought they stuffed the run, um, you know, considerably well. There's Todd Gurley, eight carries, 16 yards. Um, Ito Smith got off for one long carry of 15 yards. Beyond that, he didn't do much. So the run defense, um, you know, and, and like I said, the run defense for the Saints has been excellent. And, mm. and the, like I said, the Falcons aren't quitting in games. That's a prideful game. That's a big rivalry game. We know that, um, you know, in, in Georgia and in Louisiana, whether there's fans there or not, both dome stadium teams. So, yeah, it feels like Taysom Hill is, is making the most of his moment. Boy, has he had to be patient. Um, 30 years old, it, it, it doesn't feel that way quite obviously because we've just seen so little of him. But he's bided his time and, uh, and people – laughed they really did laugh at the decision to go with him ahead of Jameis Winston who's yeah. sitting there waiting to play for the New Orleans Saints that's what you brought Jameis Winston in for was to play if Drew Brees gets hurt yeah. and they kind of flipped the script on everybody I, I, but the script is working yeah and to be a successor as well and that again we're talking about short-term deals that's why Jameis took that one-year deal what is he thinking right now no, <laughs> unlikely yeah. to be particularly positive about it just quickly on this one more thing uh, producer Ollie producing a live show last night uh, says in my ear at one point, we've got to mention the Saints defense. It's yet another game. They're not going to allow a touchdown. <laughs> this was uh, in the fourth quarter. There was at that point a streak of 42 straight drives that the Saints had withheld the opposition scoring a touchdown. And of course, they <laughs> on that very drive scored, I think it was within about 35 seconds, they scored a touchdown. So uh, producer only Saints fans, who you want to blame, uh, blame for, for that. But super impressive from... Uh, the Saints, very impressive from Jared Goff answering his mm -hmm. critics or certainly uh, bouncing back from 
the criticism he's been facing, including, of course, from his very own head coach. And look, let's not overplay that, right? McVeigh was saying, well, our quarterback has to look after the ball better. He's been turning it over a ridiculous amount with the picks and the fumbles. It was an entirely reasonable thing to say. And I think, if anything, it shows his player respect that he is saying that. And, and uh, he's not dodging the question. And, and I doubt he's going to be dodging it. I don't think Jared Goff would have uh, argued that at all. Nevertheless, created a whole storm, a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He paid him all this money. And Goff really stepped up last night, didn't he? What was different? Why was Jared Goff so composed, so together last night compared to other weeks that we've seen? What do you put it down to? I mean, I think the offensive line was a little allowed him to, to, to play a little cleaner. I think we've seen games where he's been uh, you know, fair to, to some extent running for his life. The Bears have a great, you know, pass rush. And even though that game was a bit of a bit of a slop, uh, a lot of Bears games are lately where there's a lot of mistakes on both sides. Bears Lions was like that yesterday. I watched a good chunk of that uh, in the one o'clock window. Not sure why. I'll never get that time back. But nonetheless, you're waiting for the Lions to do Lions yeah. things and the Bears to do Bears <laughs> things. And yeah. it all meets in the middle uh, in the NFC North. But but I thought he got off to a better start. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, and yeah, the, uh, the receivers on this team, Robert Woods is, I don't know if we talk about him enough uh, right. as a superstar because right. he is that. And, and I don't know whether it's hard to believe somebody that would be playing quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams in the city of Los Angeles would be sort of undersold to the rest of the country. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you target him, he'll catch it. Cooper Cup's the same way. Like, they've yeah. got a great one-two punch yeah. in terms of guys that, uh, that Jared Goff can, can throw across the middle to, can just use as a gadget play, can throw deep ball to. So, uh, you know, wasn't surprised totally by his numbers. And, and he doesn't, you know, they know that he's a – look, he's a set drop-back passer. They know, you know, out of the shotgun, there isn't going to be anything tricky. And, and remember, the Rams had Kyler Murray to contend with. And give the Rams a ton of credit because whatever they decided to do and however they decided to play Kyler Murray, I thought they limited the damage. Um, this mm-hmm. is a guy that has torched some defenses quite a bit in the last five or six weeks. But give Brandon Staley, the Rams defensive coordinator, a ton. Yes, it helps to have Aaron Donald out there, mm-hmm. of course. Um, it makes life miserable. for. But remember, they've, they've had some losses this year. They lost to Miami. That Chicago game was was a bit trepidatious as well. So. I've thought for a couple weeks now, Nat, that as much as we were praising the Saints a few minutes ago, that the Rams have the most balance. I don't know if that makes them the most complete team. I don't know if that makes them the biggest threat. And when I look at the standings, um, if they're not going to bubble the NFC in any context, the idea of either of those teams going on the road to Lambeau Field, to Green Bay, if the Packers can charge up the middle and grab home advantage and the number one seed – that's problematic for Jared Goff. He doesn't want to go out and play on that, on that, you know, fans or no fans in Wisconsin. Doesn't want to go play there in late January. Mm. Taysom Hill or Drew Brees doesn't want to go play there in late January. No one does. Um, but the Rams have, a, I think, on neutral turf, the Rams might have the most complete shot at getting back to the Super Bowl where they were two years ago. But a lot of January is really unknown right now. You know, that offense certainly looked balanced. Cooper Cup and Woods, as you mentioned, what a great tag team they are. 18 receptions, 153 yards. The ground game going as well. Cam Akers, the rookie, stepping up. Uh, Daryl Henderson as well broke off a big run. Uh, So that balance is there. And yeah, as you say, with this, I mean, Jalen Ramsey, Uh, we've talked uh, uh, again and again about how he is, I think just accelerating away as the best corner in, in football this season. And once again, brilliant performance from him. D hop had what 60 yards, something like that, which uh, we've seen time. And again, when he is contained, this is an altogether different 
Arizona side. The front seven caused all kinds of trouble for Kyler Murray as well. I mean, I think, yeah, that that balance, when you've got a, a corner that good that can take out your elite, he did it against DK Metcalf, he's done it again. They are a serious threat, a dangerous side. They sit number three now with that mm-hmm. win. The Packers are above them uh, with their win, nine and three, uh, of course, leading in the north. Then in the fourth spot, of course, you have uh, the NFC East representative, which is the New York Giants, who seem to be with that uh, huge, huge win against the Seahawks, seem to be uh, rolling and rolling into the playoffs given the abject competition they have in the division. Let's break that game down because credit where credit's due, right? This was a Giants side with Colt McCoy as their quarterback with uh, uh, not a huge amount around him and their defense absolutely stifled and really, really caused all kinds of problems for a quarterback that most teams this season, Greg, haven't been able to at all. So this is, as we expected, uh, suspected, uh, a very well-coached Giants side. They haven't got a huge amount of talent on either side of the ball, but here they are, uh, having gone 0-5. They've won five straight, and they just knocked down one of the teams that three, four weeks ago we were calling a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, um, it's a, that division again. It's still so fascinating. Um, I, I would like to withdraw my suggestion that the Philadelphia Eagles are in the driver's seat in the uh, NFC. <laughs> Julie uh, noted. Officially, we'll pretend that never uh, of many things this year. We'll just pretend it never happened. But uh, you know, uh, the way I would describe it is, yeah, the giant, <laughs> the NFC East, the Giants are in the driver's seat of the car. Uh, we got to remember the car only has three wheels, and I'm not sure it has a steering wheel. <laughs> is it but they're allowed to, to sit in the driver's it's seat. Meant to have four wheels. It's not one of those old school three wheeler cars. <laughs> Maybe it is. But, I don't know. but you know, and and you're right about the coaching. Remember mm. a lot of criticism about uh, about Joe Judge. People yeah. did wonder. They said, "Is this a, is this the yeah. second choice? Is this the third yeah. choice?" Yeah. Um. You know there was a scenario where people were real skeptical. And again, it's a Belichick guy. There's been mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, Bill Belichick tree scenarios that, that haven't necessarily gone according to plan. I saw Damian Woody mention this yesterday, the ESPN analyst. Um, and he's noted, this is actually a pretty good year for the Belichick tree with what Brian Flores has accomplished in Miami. Judge the idea. I know it could be an eight and eight. It could be a seven and nine division win uh, in the NFC East. But if you're there, you're there. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's seven wins is more than a lot of people would have given the Giants at the start of the year, thinking, well, this will be Philly and Dallas back and forth, Dallas and Philly for the division, and and we, don't, we Washington's the real X factor. We don't know what they'll be like. Um, so uh, yeah, like I, I look and I'm I'm real impressed by the Giants. You asked me earlier about Cleveland, Tennessee, and sort of is it is it all credit to the Browns or is some of this on the Titans? I don't know what Seattle can do to keep Russell Wilson more protected. Buffalo chased him around, I think sacked him nine times in that Seattle-Buffalo game a few weeks ago. Again, he was running for his life yesterday and not by design. And, uh, and though they've got Chris Carson back on the ground and, and they use him as an outlet, obviously. I think he caught three or four balls as well. Um, it's, there's something sort of stagnant about where Seattle's at and their offense right now. And Everybody's telling Metcalf and Lockett. I saw them on the field. You saw them too. All, all the listeners and viewers saw them. But there's just something not right about where Seattle's at. And uh, and the idea when we were talking about the Rams earlier is, well, Seattle's running away the division, but the Rams mm-hmm. might be a threat as a wild card. Now we're talking the opposite. Now yeah. we're talking how much is Seattle going to sputter to the finish line here? They have, a, they have a lower point differential than both Arizona and the Rams in their division. Uh, you know, they're, they're starting to really, really uh, – 
you know, struggle a little bit. And, and we're not sure what kind of Seahawks team we'll see heading into the playoffs. I think we're still sure they'll be there because of the inconsistency of the conference and the fact there's three wild cards. They're in the five seed right now. Right. But that's not what people expected three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I think that offensively, I mean, we've been keyed in so much on their defensive shortcomings, right? And then they have, over the last month or so, addressed those, certainly in terms of pass rush reasonably well. But the offensive line was a massive problem for them last night against the Giants. I was looking this up on PFF. And they, uh, Pro Football Focus outlined that the Hawks have surrendered the second most pressures this season, 199. Second, sec, in terms of offensive line, the second worst in the whole league in terms of allowing pressure. I think that's a huge problem. They had 23 of them against this Giants defense. Look, which is which played out of its skin, but let's yeah. face it, it's not an elite defense in, in the league. Wilson was was getting really, really affected by that. Uh, he didn't have a, 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 clearly didn't have a great day, but I mean, but by his unbelievably high standards for, for much of the season was really, really uh, out of sync. And it, to use your uh, argument earlier on, let's not overreact to one performance, but I think it's, as you suggest, a little bit more than that. I think it's been, a, you know, a, a while now that this offense, having had seemingly struck this really good and very different balance of leaning much more to Wilson's arm and why haven't they been doing this for years and look how explosive it can be. Uh, they, uh, they are trending down at the wrong time. So as you said, they're in the fifth seed, Greg. You've got the Bucks on a bye week, uh, sitting in six, seven and five, uh, and second in the South. And the Vikings with that last gasp winner against the Jags, meaning they are having the, had their own start to the season. Uh, in the seventh spot, so in the playoff picture at 500 in the north, but you've got the Cardinals, similar record, mm-hmm. uh, just underneath them, the 49ers, who, of course, uh, play against uh, the Bills uh, at the uh, conclusion of week 13. And they could conceivably win that game and, and move to six and six as well. So it is um, really any of those teams to sneak in uh, for the seventh spot. I think the Bears now with that defeat, uh, drop it to five and seven. Uh, we Can you believe they were five out. and one? Can you believe yeah. the Bears were five and one? It never felt real at six the time, straight. but no one anticipates six straight losses. Is he on the hot seat then, do you think, Matt Nagy? Oh, that's a really tough one because, yeah, uh, you know, you often string things together and you think quarterback coach and you're thinking, mm-hmm. what's who gets more? You know, we've debated this for 20 years with Belichick and Tom Brady, but, and, and as we were saying earlier with Roethlisberger and Tomlin, although it's obviously Bill Cowher that started with Ben Roethlisberger, I wonder what more of the problem is. You, you might have Matt Nagy say, um, <laughs> no matter what, what they wanted at the time, moving up to, to draft Mitch Trubisky in, in 2016. Can't Nagy say, I'm kind of hamstrung with the quarterback scenario? Yeah, could, yeah. could Trubisky say, I can thrive in a different environment? Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how it's all going to lay out. We've talked about those franchises that look and look and look for quarterbacks and look how long, you know, really Buffalo had to wait for Josh Allen, almost post-Jim Kelly. I know they made yeah. the playoffs a couple of times, same as the Dolphins. But the level of excitement and the belief going forward – just has not been there for a Bears quarterback in in forever. Jay Cutler was probably mm-hmm. the peak of it, and and we know he was never a top five quarterback. I th- I think he's underrated and maligned at times because of a lot of other stuff. But Jay Cutler, you know, took them to the NFC Championship game. Jay Cutler mm-hmm. won playoff games a couple of different times. They just feel miles away from that right now, and and I don't know if it's the coach or not. They they've got to mm-hmm. be real careful. Um, but we know Black Monday is going to be. Uh, uh, you know, even in a pandemic, a really busy day this year with a lot of 
a lot of coaches that'll feel Doug Peterson, right? Can't even get into that uh, at, at three, eight and one it's off the Super point. Bowl. You'd think that guy's golden in Philadelphia, yeah. Pennsylvania for the next half decade uh, at least. And, uh, and, and there's going to be a struggle there. What if Cliff Kingsbury's not going anywhere in that, but if the Cardinals plane crashes and burns mm-hmm. and they're seven and nine, next year, a lot of questions about how he handled yeah. the second yeah. half of the season. He'll be back. But there'll be questions about him. There'll be a lot of pressure on him next year. It's, it's a great point. Well, just to bring though, a couple of points together to wrap then, on uh, on the Eagles, and Jalen Hurts, of course, coming in for, for Carson Wentz. So does Jalen Hurts get the gig going forward? It seems to be, but Peterson's already doing that dangerous thing as far as Wentz is concerned by saying, oh, I'm not going to commit to either at the moment. I'm not, you know, which means presumably that his days are numbered and they are going to go forward with, with Jalen Hurts. So, so if that is the case... What the hell happens to, to Carson Wentz? I mean, what a what a sad tale end to end to the story. That isn't a sad tale. That is when he went from an MVP level season that of course ultimately ended in, in the Eagles winning everything without him being able to affect that at all to a few years on, looking like he's bouncing out of Philly. I know. A four year. Four year. Nat, I know you've got Christmas presents to buy. Four years, $128 <laughs> million. They- <laughs> that's that's the deal Carson that's the extension Carson Wentz signed that's the extension wow. that he signed in uh, and and look it's uh they're on the books for him with him for a long long time base salary next year 15 million then 22 million 20 million 21 million in 2024 when he's 31 years old those aren't easy things to escape from that said i i, I am sure they'll start Jalen Hurts next week yeah. against the New Orleans Saints i'm sure of it um, we've had a lot of, you know, a little bit of quarterback stuff that surprised us. I think, I think even say Fitzpatrick, Miami's been the most surprising team, right? Fitzpatrick starting the season, mm. letting Tua get up to speed. Then things are actually going decent. And the first, you know, wrong step, it feels like from Fitzpatrick in comes Tua, but yeah. it, it revolutionizes their playoff chances. They had yeah. such a slow start to the season. Um, but this, this is a, I, I don't think it's a move out of desperation because I don't think I don't think they, the desperation is there for Philadelphia because they can't make the playoffs. Mm. There's no way Jalen Hurts can turn them around in four games. The problems are far too deep, far too wide. Um, and again, for Doug Peterson, that, that's, that's going to be a fascinating – I don't think it's a fascinating thing to decide because I think the die, as you said, has already been cast. But if Doug Peterson goes out, is he a hot commodity on the co- – sometimes we're really, we're really surprised that we're like, oh, they're going back to that guy. And I often bristle at the term retread – because even if you're a retread, that means you've accomplished something somewhere. You won right. the Super Bowl three years ago against yeah. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. And then Patriots defense, led by Matt Patricia, another hot commodity at one point in time, <laughs> they couldn't stop you. We watched that game, right? They go up and down the field. The Eagles couldn't be stopped mm. offensively. I don't, I'm not sure they punted. And if they did, they punted once in that Super Bowl three seasons ago. But it's really hard to see a way forward for Doug Peterson. Um, and, and some other team might say, Doug Peterson's the answer to our problems. Yeah. It's just a mess in Philadelphia with Wentz. You never yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder where you know, Frank Reich will sit in, in all this when we look back because we often, when we're looking at Super Bowl teams or whether they're winners or losers, they will get dismantled to a degree. And that is one of the, uh, I think, the key assets for the Chiefs this year, right? They've, they've retained this, this continuity. We concentrate and emphasize our focus on the players that go in that situation that get the cash in on the big money deals and they're coming back, but they are short stacked 
on a Super Bowl year because X, Y, and Z has gone. And we don't necessarily look enough at the coordinators that typically get snaffled up as well. And, and I think that might come back. Uh, we will look back rather at that and think, yeah, that was the, that was the piece where everything began to change. It is, as you say, astonishing that Peterson, after this short period of time, is, is on the hot seat. And, and maybe it is a cautionary tale that maybe in Philly with Peterson, particularly with a young quarterback, they need to do what the Steelers did. And I know things didn't get as bad for Pittsburgh yeah. under Tomlin as they have for Philly, but I wonder whether they will look at that and think, you know what? Time and again, continuity is a good thing. Look at all the, not just in the NFL, Greg, but in so many different sports. When you back your guy, if you know that he has got the quality, and that's the difference, right, between Peterson and Patricia. As you say, he's won yeah. a Super Bowl. Patricia hasn't. So give him a fair, Marone in Jacksonville, you give him a fair crack of the whip, it doesn't work out. Okay, this guy won you a Super Bowl a few years ago. Maybe back him. Maybe give him another chance to re-up and, and rebuild. But I, I suspect they won't. I suspect, uh, sadly, it could be all she wrote. And it's all she wrote for our show. We're out of time. Uh, but it's always a pleasure catching up with you, man. I really want to do that Britpop special, incidentally. I'm going to do happening. that. It's happening. Uh, yeah, it's got to happen. We could do, uh, you know, it, into the new year. We could do anniversaries of certain albums. Uh, we all need to look back at a happier time as we come to the end of our time in this uh, 2020 uh, calendar year now. I am in. Count me in, Greg Brady. Great to see you, man. Look after yourself. Check in soon. Awesome. Great to be on. Lovely stuff from Greg. Uh, he's back uh, in a couple of weeks on the show. We are back later on this week. Very special guest in the house. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to tease it. But let's just say he is a familiar face to all of you uh, UK NFLers that are listening to this and maybe he has one, maybe even two Super Bowl rings in his collection. That's what I'm going to say there. So big name dropping by later on this week. Uh, we will get set for the weekend. The Edge Rush show as well uh, with me and producer Old. Uh, that is dropping every Saturday morning. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, go and listen to it. Enjoy. And we will be back for the week 14 preview on Thursday. Bye for now, guys. Podcast Network.